You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Hey folks, I'm pretty sure I know most of you, but just in case, my name is Bren, and I use they-them pronouns, and I'm autistic and ADHD. That's relevant because today I'm going to be talking about neurodiversity. Now, some of you are getting very excited, some of you are thinking, neuro-what? And others are thinking, why are we talking about this in church? To address the why, part of it is just in understanding how to relate to different sorts of people because that's a big part of what we're trying to do, to connect and relate to different people and create an inclusive and safe space. And as I'll explain more later, queer spaces and neurodiverse spaces are quite interlinked, but one thing at a time. Now, I'm going to take a page out of Hannah Hannah Gadsby's book and give you a brief overview of what I'm going to be talking about. I've already introduced myself and the topic and said a little on why it's relevant, Now I'm giving you an overview. Next, I'm going to be giving you some definitions. Then we'll go briefly into the history of neurodiversity and also its breadth. Then I'm going to tackle some common myths, talk about how this links into Christianity, bring some Bible in there, and then wrap it up with a nice bow at the end. All sound good? Great, let's get cracking. First up, definitions. Let's start with neurodiversity. Neurodiversity is the idea that, put simply, Different brains work in different ways. Now, that might seem obvious, but this is going beyond the general difference from person to person. This is talking about fundamentally different modes of operation. It's not just, oh, my golf club is a little bit different to yours. It's, I have a golf club, you have a pool cue, and they have a mallet. Now, each of those things are good at doing what they're designed to do. But the difficulties arise when you're told that the only game is golf. I don't know why golf came to mind to me as the first analogy to use, but it did. Next, let's talk about neurotypical. Neurotypical people are the ones with the golf clubs playing golf. Everything is working more or less how you would expect, and this is the majority of people, maybe. It doesn't mean that other things can't be different. There are a lot of other forms of diversity and difference that don't fall under neurodiversity, but neurodiversity is what we're talking about today. People sometimes like to use the word normal, but I think that's actually unhelpful. That would be like calling white skin normal or calling speaking English normal. It's what we're used to because of what we've grown up with and because of numbers, but normal isn't a helpful word. Diversity is actually the norm. Neurodivergent, on the other hand, is the brains that have a different way of working than the neurotypical, the ones with the pool cues or the mallets, or maybe cricket bats. Now, to clarify, one person can be neurodivergent, or they can be neurotypical, but you need multiple people to have neurodiversity, though you can still have multiple people and not have neurodiversity. I'll go a bit more into what specifically falls under the umbrella of neurodivergent in a moment, But first, I'd like to look briefly at where this idea of neurodiversity comes from. So Judy Singer is usually the person credited with the origin of the term in the late 90s. She was doing some research at the time and realised that 
her, her mother, and her daughter were all on the autism spectrum. And she coined the term neurodiversity as an idea of a movement to bring together neurological outsiders, making a space for people to be welcomed as they are, rather than focusing on fixing people. This follows along with what's called the social model of disability, where rather than looking at how a person is somehow less because of their differences and the things that they can't do that others can, we instead look at how society has been built and structured in ways that aren't accommodating to people that are different. Most aspects of society have been designed by and for abled people, neurotypical people. And so it shouldn't be surprising that people that are different in various ways can have many different struggles. But what classifies as neurodivergent? Well, the difficulty is that our definition is constantly expanding. It started with autism, and things like ADHD and dyslexia were added fairly early. But as we learn more about different conditions, we're including more and more under the banner of neurodiversity. Things like Tourette's, dyscalculia, schizophrenia, dysgraphia, bipolar, dyspraxia, BPD, dysnomia, OCD, Down syndrome, and more. Now, I do not have the time nor the knowledge to talk to you about each one of these things. If there are particular ones that interest you, I'd recommend doing some of your own research. There are great resources available online if you go looking. So what I'm going to do instead is speak in broad brushstrokes and give you some tools to move, move forward with. Let's start by tackling a couple of common myths that pop up. Myth number one, we're all neurodivergent. This one is similar to the autism myth of we're all on the spectrum somewhere, or everyone's a little bit autistic. But this comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of what neurodiversity is talking about. Yes, everybody's brain is a little bit different to everyone else's, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a type of brain, or types of brain, that function in measurably and significantly different ways to what is considered the standard or normal. We're talking about a pool cue compared to a golf club, not different types of golf club. Unfortunately, this can come up as a common response when people share about their neurodivergency. Someone will say, I'm ADHD, and the other person will say, no, you're just scatterbrained, everyone's a bit like that, that's me as well. And this really isn't helpful. That would be like saying to someone that came out as gay, oh, no, you're not gay, you just appreciate the beauty of your own gender, everyone does that a bit, me as well. It's not helpful. It's discounting people's very real experiences and acting as if you have more knowledge and background in a topic that you probably don't know that much about. Often people that are neurodivergent will do a lot of research into their own neurodivergency, sometimes to the point of obsession, and imposter syndrome is very common among the neurodivergent community. You've heard of, I don't feel queer enough, now try, I don't feel autistic enough. So for someone to come up to you and share about their own experience can actually be quite challenging. Don't dismiss it. Don't downplay it. Recognize the value of what they are saying and the trust that they have placed in you by sharing it with you. Myth number two. Neurodiversity is saying people aren't disabled. Some people might see neurodiversity as only focusing on the good things and ignoring the real struggles that many autistic, ADHD, or many other folks can have, but that's not the idea. The social model of disability that I was talking about before doesn't try to say that people aren't disabled. 
and don't have struggles that are very real and difficult. But what it is trying to say is that many of these struggles are more to do with how our society is built rather than the way that we happen to be. There is no normal human. We've invented that idea. When we build things for one size fits all, we're excluding people because it never does. And so it's about trying to change society rather than asking disabled people to change when they already have enough shit to go through. To give you a more concrete example of what that can look like, our modern society has made a lot of things that flash bright lights, make loud noises, or produce strong smells. For many people, that's just part and parcel of everyday life, but many people who are neurodivergent also have various sensory sensitivities, such as light, noise, touch, smell, or even taste. Depending on how sensitive someone is, these can trigger various responses, including physical pain. That means that people often have to plan in advance to try and avoid certain triggers, or use sensory equipment like sunglasses or noise-canceling headphones to help mute the input a little bit. <clears throat> Imagine getting intense headaches every time you hear a truck going past, or a train going past, or just being in a car and hearing the sounds of the engine and the road, this is a reality for many people. On the other hand, though, most neurotypical people probably can't remember their credit card number, license number, chunks of quotes from Lord of the Rings, and many songs that they've written all off the top of their head. So, you know, upsides and downsides. That's me I'm referring to there. Um, myth number three. You need a formal diagnosis to know that you're neurodivergent. So a lot of things like autism, ADHD, bipolar, you can get a formal diagnosis for, usually from a psychiatrist or a psychologist, depending on what it specifically is. And some of these are things that will get picked up very early on in life, and you'll get a diagnosis then, but some are more subtle and won't be discovered until later on. And many things have a lot of barriers to diagnosis. With autism, for example, because that's what I know more about, the diagnostic cr criteria is largely based on how autism presents in white, cis males that are not in a healthy place. So if you're not white, or not male, or not cis, or if you're actually thriving in your autism rather than struggling, it's a lot harder to get a diagnosis. Not to mention the long lines to try and see a psychiatrist, the fees, the paperwork, the process. It can be a lot to get through, particularly if you are struggling. And so for a lot of the neurodivergent community, there's a lot of support for people to self-diagnose and identify with these different things, and a lot of resources available from content creators and the like to help support people that are living with it. Of course, if you're wanting government support or medication, then you often will need to get a formal diagnosis. But it's very much valid to never get that. I don't have that yet. Autism didn't get flagged in my family until 2012, back when I was 20. The question first came up for my brother, then my dad, and then me. It took me a bit of convincing, but then it started to make a lot of very scary sense. Um, and when I went to a psychologist that specialised in autism, they said that I probably had it when I was younger, but that I'd grown out of it. Spoiler alert, you can't grow out of it, that's another myth. ADHD only popped up in the last year or so. I was seeing a psychiatrist to try and get some meds for depression, talked through my symptoms, and they were like, hmm, you should look up some information about ADHD. 
next time I saw them, they were like, did you look up that information that I asked you about? I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I then proceeded to forget again and forget about the whole conversation until my current therapist brought ADHD up back up at some point, maybe early last year. That is one I'm hoping to get a diagnosis for because meds will be helpful, but the wait list to get into a psychiatrist about it are about six months long at best, so, you know. Okay, so I've talked for a long time about all of this, and maybe I've overloaded you a little with information, but why are we talking about this? Why is this relevant to church, to being a Christian, and to this community here at New City Church? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it's about how we connect to other people. The church is meant to be a place that is welcoming for all. I know for many of you that hasn't been your experience. But that is something that we want to see being true here. Not just for queer people, but for neurodivergent people, for disabled people, for people that feel like they're excluded or left out in other spaces. We want people like this to feel at home here. Hopefully some of what I've been saying has helped you to understand neurodivergent people a little better, or inspired you to learn more and do some research yourself so that you can better welcome neurodivergent people into this space. Secondly, because neurodivergent people are already here. Hi. <laughs> if you didn't know, the queer and neurodivergent spaces overlap a lot. In queer groups, there are much higher instances of neurodivergence, and in neurodivergent groups, there are much higher instances of gender diversity and diversity in sexuality. So even if you didn't know it, chances are there are a lot of neurodivergent people here already. You might be sitting next to one. It's possible you might be one and hadn't realized before now. I want to start wrapping up by asking a question. When we're in the new creation and have our resurrection bodies, do you think there will be disability there? Will we see people with physical disabilities, mental disabilities? Will we see neurodiversity? Will we see autism, ADHD, bipolar, Down syndrome? It's a hard question to answer because there are parts of these things that make life really difficult. <laughs> and you'd hope that in the resurrection that that wouldn't be around. But there are also parts of these things that just make you uniquely yourself. Autism isn't something I drag around with me that can be separated from me somehow. It's integral to who I am as a person. You can't define me without it, and I wouldn't be me without it. It's why neurodiverse groups always fight against those who are calling for a cure, because we aren't a sickness or a disease, we're people. On a different tack, what about language? In the resurrection, do we think there'll be just one language? Or that there will be all of the languages, and perhaps we'll just be given the ability to understand them, or maybe slowly learn how to, if we have infinite time to do so, after all? The reading that we had for today, from Genesis 11, tells us of the story of the Tower of Babel, and it speaks of a time when the people had a shared language, but that they were then scattered across the world and given different languages, and they didn't understand each other. Many of the difficulties that neurodivergent people have, and perhaps more particularly with autism, are focused around communication. The difficulty that we have in communicating with other people or understanding what other people are saying and doing. But literally speaking a different language is a much bigger break in communication. 
yet we don't talk about trying to get rid of other languages, even though that has happened, or forcing other people to speak our language, even though that's happened too, because we know that that wouldn't be okay. So why do neurotypical people then expect neurodivergent people to learn their language? Why is the expectation so often that we must become like what is the normal and the standard? Our God is a God of diversity. And that's something that we celebrate in this church. And I love to see that celebrated. And we see that diversity all through creation and all through humanity. Diversity across cultures and languages, genders, sexualities, ability, and neurology. I believe that neurodiversity is part of God's plan of creation. And I believe that we will see that same diversity represented in the resurrection. I don't know what that will look like or how God will make that work, but I believe that it is part of that plan. In John's revelation, he proclaims, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white with palm branches in their hands. Diversity is a key part of creation, and a key part of the community that God wants to have with them. And so it should be key to how we build community here as well. Neurodiversity is something that is complex and evolving and organic and maybe a little bit daunting to understand. But the answer is not to tell people to become normal, to just learn how to live in this world and society that that we've created. We need to reach out to people and include them learn how to make spaces more accessible and inclusive and welcoming, and do that with our own speech and actions as well. I'm going to finish up with a prayer, but think on this. What am I doing to make this space easier for neurodivergent people to be in? And if I'm not, well then what am I doing that I'm not aware of, which makes this space perhaps harder for neurodivergent people to be in? I encourage you to keep conversation around this going afterwards, but for now, I'm going to pray.